Welcome to a new episode of The Brand Called You. In every episode, we bring some really, really interesting people. And today we have Kavita Bagga. Uh, Kavita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ashutosh. Thank you uh, for having me. Kavita is, um, in her own words, a corporate rat turned farm rodent. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. She's from Hindu College. Uh, IMT Ghaziabad. She said, um, had an amazing career with JWT, Hindustan Unilever, National Geographic, PepsiCo, Times of India. Then she worked for an organization which is Fab Miller. After that, she started on her own, which is a company called Kara Organics. Um, Kavita, you worked for several companies before Fab Miller. Uh, tell us about some of your highlights. You know, while while. Um uh, my background would tell you that I really worked from, for too many companies. It was actually not too many companies. It was uh, different verticals which were part of the same company. And um, uh, so uh, uh, I really started out. And while I was actually sort of retrospecting and thinking where all have I worked and what have I gathered, I realized that uh, everywhere that I've worked uh, has been a sort of a startup on its own, but within a larger hemisphere of a larger company, which is so good because uh, while every company, a small setup within a larger setup that I worked with, uh, was all about passionate people and you know trying to do things differently or trying to be innovative and think out of the box and uh, add value to your customer or the client. Uh, we were still part of a much larger company, which really guided us with a lot of you know value system and. Uh, uh, and it was like a cushioning thing for the, sh- for the smaller setup so that if we made errors, there was a fallback option as well. Uh, so I started my career with um, uh, Fulcrum, uh, which is now uh, called Mindshare. And Fulcrum was part of the erstwhile HTA, Hindustan Thompson Associate. Yep. And it was the first time that uh, an agency set up an agency uh, uh, record for a client mm-hmm. and as bigger client as Hindustan Lever and we were supposed to consolidate all their media buying and planning and uh, basically get uh, economy of scale and optimize their spends and do their entire media buying and planning for Hindustan Lever. Uh, We started out as a team of about four people uh, with uh, four uh, desktop computers and um, fax machines because that was the time when we still sent ROs to media channels through faxes, right? Um, uh, Fulcrum was an amazing time. I think uh, it, it, it really uh, makes a lot of difference on where you've really started your career because that really starts Absolutely. to instill values that stay with you for a much longer time. Um, <clears throat> and I think Fulcrum um, not only did it tell me where my strengths and weaknesses really were as an individual because I'm still too young as a professional to really see where my skill sets were. But, you know, things like, am I too short-tempered? Am I too impatient? Am I a good listener or a bad listener? You know, how good am I at taking instructions? Am I compliant, not compliant? Am I a revolutionary? You know, those kind of things, mm-hmm. little things about you start to happen, which, you know, college and school really doesn't tell you that much. Sure. Uh, So Fulcrum was a very interesting stint. I spent about uh, uh, three years at Fulcrum. And then uh, because I was interacting very closely with uh, our client, which is Hindustan Lever, uh, I was uh, 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 asked, in fact, almost invited by them to come and join them on a secondment for a year. Uh, So uh, I joined HUL for about a year and sat in the HUL office at Fort Bombay. 
and worked very closely with the brand managers, uh, which is where I realized that uh, while uh, media buying and media planning uh, was very interesting and it made you familiar with the brand, it really wasn't the entire brand management on its own. There was so much more that really goes into you know, brand sure. building and brand management, things like packaging, dealing with you know, distributors, uh, creating promotions, creating IPR properties, um, dealing with consumers, uh, supply chain, you know, so there's a whole gamut around a brand which one was not familiar with as yeah. a, just a media buyer or a planner. So I said, uh, uh, after a year of that secondment coming to an end, I said, let me get back to something which gets me a little more closer to strategy and brand building. So I requested for a change to client servicing. Um, and then I moved within HTA to client servicing, uh, where I uh, worked on brands which were still very nascent, the categories are very nascent, uh, like Kellogg's. Uh, where, and that, that was at a time where Indians felt that, you know, a heavy breakfast is a nutritious breakfast yep. uh, or eating dry goods or a cereal in the morning was completely unheard, unheard of and thought as something that only the privileged yep. had on their dining table, whereas everybody was very happy eating aloo parathas mm-hmm. and puri aloos, you know. So uh, there was a whole lot of uh, effort that went into really trying to educate uh, consumers through our uh, media communication and uh, marketing strategies mm-hmm. on why nutrition is important than sure. volume and heavy needn't mean healthy um, and then uh, I also worked on brands like Holix uh, which again uh, you know in a country where we have milk in abundance you know feeding your child um, uh, powder water yep. drink yep. was not seen as something it was almost like sacrilege mm-hmm. you know if I'm not going to give my child milk I'm a bad mother so again, there I learned a lot about building the category and growing the brand alongside, of course, my brand managers and category heads. Yeah. Um, uh, post uh, JWT, I had a short stint with National Geographic, uh, which I think has been one of my most, uh, uh, so to say, um, unproductive uh, nine months uh, at a personal level. One, because it was a very short stint <coughs> and... Uh, <coughs> Two, at a personal level, I was going through uh, uh, some chaos in my life. Mm-hmm. I was going through, I was married very young and I was going through a messy divorce. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided to take a break because I felt that if I am not being able to fully give myself to a certain job, then not only am I doing gross injustice to myself, mm-hmm. but I think it is also using up an opportunity for somebody else who could perform better you know, in that position. So I took a break and I pulled back a little and I decided to uh, sort of uh, uh, jump back uh, into being the real me and sort of and understand uh, how strong am I to deal with uh, setbacks um, and really sort of embrace myself you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, to come back into the real world again and not have any emotional uh, turbulences you know, keeping me away from things that I could really deliver on. And that uh, little break that I took for about uh, seven to eight months was uh, fantastic. Mm. Uh, you know, sometimes you say, you know, things happen for, for, for good. I think that's something which was uh, happened for a very good reason because uh, I learned a lot uh, during that seven months, which stood me, uh, you know, stood by me very strongly. In fact, still does. Yep. 
So I spent those seven months. Um, I did a lot of travel. Um, uh, I, I uh, did two courses of Vipassana, the longest courses of 13 days, which is about absolute mourn and mm-hmm. there's no talking. Um, and uh, I took to yoga. Uh, I got back into shape. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to the gym and I worked on myself. And um, and then I just said, okay, enough of all this well-being. Uh, and then I just went off to Goa and hung out with the hippies for mm-hmm. about two months <laughs> till my father came looking for me and got me back to Delhi and said, okay, party over, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, so that was really good. And then I came back and fortunately, uh, while I had worked with JWT, I had interacted uh, with the people from Pepsi because Pepsi used to be our biggest client. And I happened to speak with them and they said that uh, in the marketing team, there was a vacancy and I could probably... Uh, come and chat with mm-hmm. uh, Vibha and uh, Raji, who was the MD then. Yep. So uh, I went to Pepsi and of course I got interviewed and uh, fortunately I was hired at Pepsi and uh, Pepsi for me has been my most defining uh, period in my career mm-hmm. because I think it is a fantastic organization to work with and uh, unlike what you see today, uh, the time that I was at Pepsi, and in that company, I think there were just so many stars for you to look Absolutely. up to. Yes. And it is so important to work for uh, people that you can look up to because um, I think uh, people don't work for organizations. They work for individuals. Correct. And at a younger age, when you are lucky to have somebody who can guide you and mentor you and, in, and bring out the right uh, talent in you mm-hmm. and show you really where your aptitude lies, and push you to push boundaries as well. I think that's very important because eventually uh, you do end up becoming leaders and yeah. you do in, end up becoming coaches to youngsters. Yeah. And yeah. unless you had a good leader yourself, mm-hmm. uh, you really don't know who to emulate. Mm-hmm. So uh, Pepsi was very good. And uh, I had a boss um, who was, uh, of course, uh, Gender diversity was a bit of a joke to him. So he said, okay, I've been given this woman, you know, to uh, work in my team. And what can a woman do? She she doesn't play cricket and I can't discuss, you know, whatever, you know, this, that with her. And she's going to be worried about getting a tan and this and that. So he decided to uh, man me up a little. And uh, he said that I don't want to see you in the office. I want you to be in the field 25 days a month. And uh, it doesn't have to be Bombay, Delhi, Bangalore. You have to go to Raja Mundri, Gakinada, Gondalgaon, and places which are completely unheard of. Um, well, fortunately for me and surprising, surprisingly for him, uh, I was quite excited. Amazing. Because that meant that I could travel more at com- on company cost and uh, really get to meet more and more people. Uh, so I did that and I think... Uh, that was amazing because uh, that is where I learned that uh, you really can't build a brand sitting in an air-conditioned office. And unless you, you know, and you research, you, know, you have research agencies which will all get you empirical data. But what you can really understand about your consumer is by actually interacting with that consumer. You know, so I had spent days in uh, the Dharavi slum where we were trying to launch Slice Tetra Pak, you know. Mm-hmm or packaged drinking water, Aquafina, and uh, these were people who were drinking out of, you know, sewage water or, you know, taps and uh, trying to get these people, or for that matter in Gujarat, you know, at that time you got those little 
25 paisa polythene packets of water yeah. which nobody had really had an idea what the source was so talking to people and trying to educate them on the hygiene levels of water and getting them to pay money for water which is a very easily available commodity so far i'm not sure if it will be in future um <clears throat> was very challenging yeah. but very exciting and then also telling people that you know beverages are good because yes they kind of fed one revenue stream in my company but you know there's this healthier option of tropicana juices and slides and kids you know sort of evolved from serving a rasna to your guest to a slice or you know yeah. uh so those were very interesting uh, years where uh, one learned uh, the mindset of people learned how their lifestyles were and what would it really take for them to shell out that extra buck for a more nutritious option um and of course doing the market i think that just kind of toughens yeah. you up from pepsi i went to work with bennett okay uh, so again this was a small setup within pepsi of non carbonated beverages of course i worked on brand pepsi also yeah. eventually yeah. but then so it was a small setup within a large pepsi or all the pepsi then i joined bennett and coleman uh somehow the media bug in me started to you know rise again and i said i want to get back to doing something in media and uh, and i think it was also a little accidental it wasn't like pre-designed that i w- i wanted to really move out right uh but uh, somebody from bennett was in delhi and they were looking and they said you know why don't we catch up and chat mm-hmm. and what they spoke about sounded very interesting because bennett at that time had uh, very few ipr properties mm-hmm. they used to have film fair awards and they had uh, miss india yeah. they were the only two cash making properties that bennett had mm-hmm. so they wanted a person to come on board who understood brands and who could create properties ipr properties for bennett uh, which were monetizable and sustainable So I was uh, hired to join that vertical to actually set up that entire vertical again a small non-existent vertical within the large world of Bennett yeah. uh, uh which was again interesting because every property was like a brand on its own mm-hmm. and that is where I learned how to really work on a P&L mm-hmm. because every property had to deliver sure. uh top line as well as a bottom line and of course it was uh, quite glamorous as well because i used to be sitting with a shahrukh khan and yeah. trying to negotiate a contract with him and you know rarity roshan so i had my little bit of a glamour as well plus hard work of actually bringing yeah. in the yeah. mula to the company and then i joined radio mirchi again which was part yeah. of bennett wow. yeah. uh which was uh, which had a footprint of about 23 to 24 stations mm-hmm. at that time and radio being a very local medium yeah. all the stations were again a brand on their own so the whole uh, effort was to generate properties and how to get people to start listening you know to increase the listenership mm-hmm. to increase uh, client spends on that medium considering that television was so fragmented and so expensive and uh, trying to you know reach your message to a local community was uh, much simpler and easier more yeah. impactful through radio So and then uh I joined SAP Miller. Okay. Um again it was uh I think it's just kind of my career has just flowed you know a natural course um I think somewhere the whole burning also started to happen and uh, also as you get older you know you your needs get uh, very limited. and you start to wonder that okay i'm traveling so much i'm earning so much i'm you know vanquishing so many people in a conference room but to what end 
and um, is my life really about a sales target or an appraisal by a boss Correct. or an increment and what about my self appraisal and what am i really doing what am i doing to myself first and what is it that i'm going to do which will actually leave some sort of footprint uh now of course there are people who are doing a lot more much more work uh but then i think uh, at an individual level if we all start saying that at least let me do my bit uh you know collectively we just might end up making a difference mm. so i said okay i really enjoyed reading about food and agriculture when i was preparing for my interview um and food is something i really love i can't stop eating and i don't think one should deprive yourself mm. of food uh but eating well um growing your own food um were things which seemed quite exciting and uh, again i think uh, i felt like i had learned fair amount through various jobs and my learning had somewhere started to stagnate because now it had all become about crisis management and less about innovative thinking or learning more or imbibing more or understanding more you know so i decided to uh, make a shift uh, to something which was uh, interesting but uh, uh, something that i was ignorant about uh, as such which was agriculture uh, of course uh, you know circumstances were quite um, they had a role to play because um, uh, my, my my husband's company i mean we it is about they, they make bio inputs for organic farming uh, and we live at a farm which is huge and which has actually not been exposed to chemicals for the last 22 years uh, so uh, we spoke and uh, he said uh, so he suggested he said you know if we are doing the inputs why don't you do the output yep. and uh, let's work on developing a model farm for farmers where they can be brought in to see the processes that go into um, converting your soil uh, to an organic and a more porous soil and uh, various processes of organic farming and things that you can grow and how biodiversity can really encourage you to increase your yield versus just monocropping yep. So uh, it started off as a, a model farm, and uh, we decided to call it Kara Organics, uh, more because it was Kavita and Masvid's name is Ravi, so K A N R. It was as it yeah. proof as that. But then, of course, when I read up in Greek, it also means pure. Okay. So it all kind of fit very well. And from a model farm, uh, I felt that okay, if you're doing this, why don't uh, uh, you know I start. Uh, growing this category at least you know uh, which is something that i had learned over my past few uh, jobs about building brands and growing a category yeah. and educating consumers uh, because i feel that's the best way to uh, create stickiness in your consumers okay. when you have them buy into a brand because they believe in it versus you know putting it up on a shelf as 1 plus 1 Uh, so I thought uh, that there is. I saw a gaping hole in the world of organic foods, and uh, I saw a lot of uh, lack of awareness and uh, a lot of uh, misleading, uh, you know. So what are the kind of f- products you are growing? And- so we are now doing. Uh, uh, we are. Uh, we, we. It's. It's mostly seasonal. Seasonal greens. It's mm-hmm. actually actually seasonal greens okay. and. Uh, uh, at a given point in time you will find at least 60 to 70 different kinds of wow. greens uh, vegetables growing at the farm and uh, 
um, the whole idea being that you know uh, we have to move away from the usual spinach and the methis mm. and there is just so many more yeah. indigenous crops yeah. in india especially that one can explore mm. uh, which are which could be healthier easier to grow and uh, could be extremely good for your soil mm. if you start working on a rotational cropping mm. system so i was reading an article uh, which said that sikkim has become the first completely yeah. organic state yes sikkim and uttarakhand is also now on its way and uh, what about uh, some of the other states like uh, haryana and punjab which are really the cash crop uh, states yes. or andhra for that matter unfortunately uh, punjab has a very sad story mm-hmm. in fact uh, like i said uh, you know some time ago that uh, contamination of your soil mm-hmm. is actually the bane for not just our 75% of chronic chronic mm. diseases come because of what we eat but there's a lot of social uh, uh, chaos that has been created because of what we have done to the soil mm. so in punjab where the whole green revolution bit had started mm. you know while at the face of it it seemed like it's increasing the yield mm. uh, of the food it wasn't really increasing the yield it was just messing about, up the soil it was just about mm. it was messing up the soil and of course you know when you tell a farmer that you are just supposed to grow corn and wheat mm. instead of 50 other things you're increasing the yield purely by acreage yeah. and not really getting a plant to mm. sprout more mm. uh and of course over a period of time you know you 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 kill the soil yeah so uh punjab uh, so, so so that is what happened because a lot of farmers over three four years yeah. uh lost their land yeah. because now that land is totally defunct or they have incurred huge debts because there are uh, seeds which are patented and which they have to buy uh they have to use herbicides because their plants have become res- less resistant uh the soils are becoming defunct and at the end of the day they have mounting debts they have no land and they eventually committing suicide and they're not committing suicide the younger lot of the families are moving away and coming to the cities and looking for the jobs which is creating more unemployment and there's a rise in crime so the whole issue yeah. you know the whole issue in the society is also starting Correct. from how and what we are doing yeah. to the earth yeah. um so i think punjab has a long way to go and um the change really has to happen at a ground level for sure uh the consumers have to start understanding organic and start and how, asking how much time does it take for uh soil yeah. to be able to revive itself uh usually uh 3 to 5 years okay. depending on the level of contamination uh so which is why when you go in for certification your first 3 years mm-hmm. are under conversion mm-hmm. and there is uh, thorough monitoring and supervision and by the end of third or the fourth year is when you get truly certified as organic Uh, so it is a long process uh, it is a bit of an expensive process as well and which is what uh, we are doing at kara now we are while we are working with a lot of farmers to uh, tell them that you will increase the life of your soil if you practice organic farming uh, we are also trying to work with certain policy makers where we are uh, urging them to uh, work on how they subsidize organic inputs how they can help the farmer to tide over that setback sure. in revenue he might face in the first 3 years of you know in that transition period from mm-hmm. conventional farming to organic farming because that is actually a big deterrent for the farmer mm-hmm. that my yield will become less i will make less money and hence why should i move to organic so yeah. it's a short term view which uh, is 
keeping him away from thinking long term. So, uh, you know, moving to one one more question before I come into some more personal questions. You know, you've mentioned that our body is our foundation and not our temple. Um, help me understand this. Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, Ashu, we, we all we are uh, we work so hard on looking good, mm. and we don't work hard enough to feel good. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know. I think your body is not a temple. It is not something that you need to adulate and expect miracles from. It is something that you need to nourish. Yeah. It is something you, that you need to really look after. Yeah. Uh, because, uh, you know, you could, uh, you could be uh, chasing top lines and bottom lines. But if you're not healthy, the only thing that you will get to the fastest is a flat line. Correct. You know, okay. so, you know, if you're not healthy... I mean, it has an impact on everything, you know, not just yourself, but your peripheral family, you know, their emotional well-being. Uh, and uh, it, it is something that we all need to wake up to and say that, you know, I need to work on myself. Yep. Uh, and yet I was reading an article last week where, which was talking about this global craze for getting fitter. Hmm. And they are beginning to say that this is now getting too extreme and is going to start harming our bodies. So where is there uh, some kind of a balance? So fitter uh, is a very uh, misleading word because yeah. a lot of people think fit means thin mm. uh, or fit means, uh, you know, size one or zero yeah. and fit could, it does not mean that. Fit means that uh, you are something that, you know, keeps you happy inside. I mean, your you know emotional happiness relies yeah. a lot on your physical well-being as well. And for us to, the ability to keep pushing ourselves longer, you know, our lifespans, I mean, there's science working on increasing our lifespans, right? Yeah. Uh, so if we are going to live till the age of 80, 90, I mean, I don't think we should be wanting to live on a wheelchair or on our Correct. bed. I mean, Correct. we may as well be walking and delivering and Correct. remain productive yeah. for as long as we yeah. can. And I think there is so much more to do and see um, that it is, uh, you know, grossly unfair if we run out of steam too fast. So, yeah, so fitter, fitter does not mean just looking good. It means you have to feel good as well. I agree. Yeah. So moving on to now some more questions, you know, one question I love to ask all my guests, which is, you know, tell me a little bit about uh, your biggest learning from some failures. Uh, well, there have, I, fortunately, professionally, I think I've not been able to calibrate something as a biggest failure so far, but there have been failures, there have been disappointments, uh, there have been personal setbacks as well, which, like I said in the beginning, that, uh, taught me a lot. Um, uh, but what I have really learned a few things about from failures is that, uh, firstly, uh, owning and recognizing a failure is very important. Uh, and uh, once you know that you have failed, uh, you have to start working on how to unfail yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, very often we uh, try to, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to rectify that failure or try to look for excuses on who to pass the buck on uh, instead of really moving, you know, cutting our losses and moving on mm -hmm. and actually just taking the learning out of failure. I mean, yeah. I think. Failure is your biggest revenue opportunity. Correct. You know, and uh, your highs from your wins 
will not you will not remember them as much as what you have learned from mm-hmm. failure so yes recognizing and owning your failure is uh, what uh, i have learned uh, from some of my failures in, in well in well in time uh, before you start putting good money behind bad money uh secondly uh, uh you can bounce back you know uh we are made in a certain manner where we find solutions i think uh, i often tell my friends and people that you know when god sends you a setback he gives you the strength to deal with it as well yes and it's just about you exploring that and trying to unearth that about yourself and there is nothing that you can't tide over i mean if you can get over a parents when they pass away there's nothing yeah. which is insurmountable so true um and that's like the old phrase this too shall pass this too shall pass and it surely does you know uh, and if you don't learn then you pass away with it and if you learn that you then you sort of pass on so uh, so yes so that's so that's a big learning yeah. that i've had from uh, so um you know you've had a successful corporate career you've had a successful entrepreneurial career what is the secret of the success i think uh, it's uh, it's something which is now something that i live with quite literally these yeah. days mm-hmm. it's about listening to your gut so uh, in the past I, there have been occasions where i have failed where i did not listen to my gut and there have been occasions where i sort of achieve something because i have listened to my gut and combined that with uh you know uh some semblance of strategy and uh, made sense out of what i thought was workable and today i actually tell people listen to your gut you know detoxing the gut is a big fad these days so you listen to the gut so i think one is that i have listened to my gut uh two is that uh, uh you have to always be open to learn you know you the day you realize that you're learning you have learned know everything uh, that is your really your nemesis because you really stop evolving and growing as an individual so there is always something more to learn and uh, just giving an example from personal experience you know uh, after i got out of my very hectic corporate life um, i decided to have a baby at 44 and i, I which was you know i mean everybody said at 44 you can't then it's you know difficult or whatever and i said no you know i mean that's one part of life that i haven't i have so much to learn about about motherhood and all that and uh, so i had a baby at 44 and uh, the journey of motherhood over the last 2 years has been so much learning in so many ways mm. you know um thirdly you have to interact with people closely enough to gain some learning out of them you know when we work in teams when we work in organizations we work very empirically and we start treating people like commodities whereas i think that there is so much to learn when there is a when there is a slight personal touch as well uh, you learn from people you learn what's driving them you learn what is motivating them you learn what is demotivating them you know you learn how to bring out skill sets in people so you and that that is only possible when you actually get to know the person as a human being and not as a uh, you know man power as part of your team so, so yeah so i think uh, working with people uh, willingness to learn um uh and uh, desperately seeking good people to work for mm. I mean, for me working for a good boss has always been very important mm. 
um, because uh, you know there is a reason why that person is my boss, and yeah. I think nothing can be most more demotivating than not working for the right individual in an organization. So, Kavita, uh, what an amazing journey you've had. I mean, you know, successful corporate career, successful farmer, uh, if I can use the term, uh, mother at 44. Um, you know, you've been absolutely amazing and I, I'm going to look forward to watching you rise and climb over the years. But thank you so much for coming to our podcast. Yeah. I think your words of wisdom, you mentioned gut and I have also said that listening to your gut is also something which leads to a lot of wisdom. Yes, for sure. So I'm That's sure what the Vedas tell us. Absolutely. I mean, Vedas spoke about the gut and Correct. its system. Correct. So thank you very much again. Thank you. And great to have you on the show. Thank you, Ashwish. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Brand Called You podcast. Be sure to visit tbcy.in to join the conversation, access show notes, and discover fantastic bonus content. You can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply search for The Brand Called You. Thank you and see you next week.